Those of you who came in today, uh, perhaps for the first time in a little while, will have noticed quite a few changes. We're in the process of decorating so that by uh, the 31st of May next week, the building will look significantly different on the inside. Lots of, um, lots of kind of cosmetic things mostly, but decorative things have been done, different paintwork and uh, various different things around the building. And uh, we're grateful for the interior design team for what it is that they've done. And uh, you'll notice as well as you came in that uh, there's quite a bit of work to be done between now and next week. So if you'd like to join us in that, we'd love to welcome you. There are a few walls to be painted. There are a few things to be done in bathrooms around the building uh, to add to all of the new water fountains and the cleansing stations and all of that that we've got in here. The other thing to say is that next week, uh, as well as our reopening, is going to be a Thanksgiving Sunday. We're going to be particularly remembering our call to be thankful to God for our deliverance in the midst of this terrible pandemic and for the fact that the Lord is now beginning to give us freedom and the opportunity to, as it were, reestablish our work and our life out there in the wider world. And we're going to do that in several ways. We'll do it in our time of worship and word. We'll do that in the way in which we pray and celebrate together. But we're going to do it also as we bring an offering of money, a financial offering next week. Now this will be, of course, a thanksgiving to the Lord. Right through the centuries, the people of God have marked significant occasions in their lives with thank offerings to the Lord. And that thank offering is something that the Lord is very pleased with and is something that the Lord is able to use enormously significantly. So we're expecting great things out of that thanksgiving. And of course, it will help us as a church to do the ministry that God has given us to do. We have taken, like pretty much every church uh, that we know of, we have taken quite a financial hit over these last few months, and uh, it would be great to kind of rebalance and uh, resettle our, uh, our income uh, over these next couple of weeks. We recognize, of course, that many people will not be in a position to be able to offer a financial thanksgiving, and so we're hoping that you'll be able to find other ways to bring your offering to the Lord. These are difficult times for many people, financial uh, austerity and difficulty are in many households right now, and we understand that. But in the midst of that, a thank offering to the Lord is something that not only releases our hearts, but it also is part of the process of the wheels of grace turning. It's as we, as it were, put our lives into the hands of the Lord more and more that we find that in the hands of the Lord, our lives are more significantly blessed. So do consider that and pray that through as you prepare for next week. So this week's passage, already beautifully introduced to us, is from Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read it. It's quite a long parable. Uh, there are some other things that the Lord says after this parable that we may not be able to get into this week, but we're going to read it together right now. Luke chapter 16 and verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. 
So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use your wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, we need to understand this within its cultural setting, as we always do in uh, reading the Bible. This story would be something that would be really easy for the disciples and the people that Jesus was addressing to understand. This is a very familiar picture. A, a wealthy individual would have a number of different staff that he would employ to do different things within his household. And this particular person was the one who oversaw all the dealings of that household. The household in terms of its business, the household in terms of its relational interactions with the outside world, the household in its dealings internally and externally. And this manager, though, though described by his, uh, his master as being dishonest, was commended for being shrewd. Now we look at him, we think, how on earth did, it, did anybody get away with this with, with not getting put into prison? I mean, how is it even possible? Well, of course, the way in which it was understood at the time was that a man in this position really had free reign over that which he had been given authority over. Probably the real issue uh, that the master was concerned about was the tendency towards this man's dishonesty, that he hid what it was that he was doing, and the fact that he allowed the clients of the household to get into a system of unsustainable debt. Bankers take note. So here is this man who, in the time of Jesus, would be expected to to decide what is the right thing to do with the money of the household. And he decides on this occasion that the best thing to do with the money of the household is to help him with his future. The man has lost his job, but now uses the opportunities that he has within the context of still having the job to help him in the future. 
He's too weak to dig. He's too ashamed to beg. He needs another alternative. Now, this is tremendously important because it was a crisis that caused this man to think through how he was going to live. It was a crisis that caused him to reevaluate how he was to invest his life and manage his life in relation to the crisis that he was facing. Some of us have already faced the crisis of losing our job, not because of any dishonest or shrewd dealing on our part, but simply because of the coronavirus. Others have seen a terrible financial hit on our businesses. Many of us look at the world and see that the world has been struck by really perhaps the most significant financial, economic, and social earthquake that we have experienced for multiple generations. Certainly in the modern era, nothing short of a world war would be anything like as significant as what we've just gone through. This is a crisis, and crises are times to reevaluate. Now, I don't know how the Lord does all of his planning. He, of course, chooses to do it in the ways that he does, and it's a mystery to me. But we've had this passage planned for a long time. And next week's passage is a passage about Thanksgiving, which we've had planned for a long time. So go figure all that out. How the Lord does all of that is incredible. So here we are. We're looking at this passage in a time of really unprecedented crisis. And the Lord is revealing to us that there is something that he wants to commend about a man in his reaction to the crisis that he was facing. And what was it that he commended? He says, I tell you, in verse 9, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What is Jesus talking about? Now, in the liturgical denominations of Europe, they, are, uh, they, they, follow, the same, they, they follow the same pattern of Bible readings every year. And this Bible reading in the Scandinavian countries, in the Lutheran uh, denominations, always comes up in August. The pastors generally make sure that they're not available when this passage comes up. And it's called, for that reason, the lay preacher's sermon. The passage just leaves the lay preacher who's got no theological training, spinning in the wind, trying to work out what this passage is all about. I mean, what the heck? What is Jesus actually saying to us here? Because it seems as though he's suggesting that we do things that are at minimum less than moral and at worst less than godly. So what is it then that Jesus is saying to us that is important about the shrewd manager? The important thing that the shrewd manager does is to realize that the capitals that are available to our life have a different value. And some capitals 
are so valuable that we need to invest in them first. Now, if you look at all of what Jesus uh, teaches, I'll go to the whiteboard if I may. If you look at all of the things that Jesus teaches, there are five capitals in our life. There are, there are five ways in which our life can be invested. There are five ways in which our life can grow. And there are five ways in which we can take an economic metaphor, one that Jesus uses over and over and over again. He uses the economic metaphor more often than anything else. We can take this economic metaphor and understand how it is that God wants us to invest our life. Those five capitals are quite simply spiritual, spiritual capital, relational capital, intellectual capital, physical capital, and financial capital. And Jesus talks about all five of these capitals. And through my reading of the text, although I've kind of moved around a little bit over the years as I've thought this through, I think that this is the order in which these capitals function in the teaching of Jesus. It's as though when Jesus is teaching, he wants his disciples to understand that spiritual capital is, is kind of connected to all of the other capitals, but it's a bit different. It's a bit like your thumb on your fingers, yeah, your thumb on your hand. It's so important because it's able to touch the others more easily than any of the others are able to, to touch the others. Spiritual capital seems to be of ultimate significance. But then, if we're to look at our lives, of course, relational capital is next. Our friends, our family, our spouse, our children, our close relationships, of course, relational capital is next. Now, over the years, I've tried to work out whether physical or intellectual capital is next. It might have been that when I was a younger man, I didn't have to think very much, I thought, Physical capital was more important, but now that I'm older and can't run as fast, uh, maybe I think intellectual capital. But whatever way, I think that intellectual capital is probably next. And then physical capital, and then financial capital. Now, each of these capitals have a currency. What's the currency of financial capital in America? Dollars and cents. Thank you. So there's dollars and cents in financial capital. In physical capital, like we heard from the family ministry team, it's time and energy. That's what we can spend. That's the currency of our physical capital. It's time and energy. And sometimes we'll have more time and less energy, and other times we'll have more energy and less time. But, but we'll be able to operate with that currency. Intellectual capital is, of course, knowledge and ideas, those creative ideas that spark new things, along with the knowledge that we've acquired down through the years. Relational capital. What's the currency of relational capital? Friends and family. 
of course, what's the currency of spiritual capital? Well, it's interesting. If you look at the teaching of Jesus in Luke's gospel, Jesus resolves his first section of teaching by saying, you need to be a wise person who builds their house on a rock. And that wise person is wise because they hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice. The very last teaching of Jesus as he's ascending into heaven, uh, an anniversary which was celebrated by many of the church all around the world just this last Thursday, as Jesus is ascending into heaven, the very last teaching that he gives is teaching about the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we were to look at Luke's gospel and frankly all of the other gospels, we would probably come up with wisdom and power as being the currency of spiritual capital. You can spend wisdom and you can use the power that the Lord has given you to operate effectively in his kingdom. Now, all of these things, of course, are important. It's important that you've got dollars and cents to be able to put food on the table. It's important that we have time and energy to be able to invest in the things around us. It's important that we acquire knowledge and have the capacity to develop new ideas. It's, of course, important that we cherish and steward our families and our friends. And, of course, it's enormously important that we understand that the growing of wisdom and the, and the openness and the development of being open to the power of God is of ultimate significance. When Jesus is talking about spiritual capital, he puts it like this in Matthew chapter 13. He says, a man went and found a treasure in a field, and he hid it again, so that nobody else could come and get it, and he went off and sold everything that he had and went and bought the field with the treasure in it. Another man, a pearl merchant, found a pearl of great price, and he went away and sold everything he had so that he could purchase the pearl of great price. You see, if you want to grow a capital, you need to invest all of the others, all of the others that you have available. Now, the shrewd manager, as far as I can tell, didn't have a lot of spiritual capital available. But he had other capital that he could use. He used money that was that was available to him. He was able to manage it. He had authority over it. And so he used money. He used his time and energy. And he used his wit. He used his intelligence to create a growth in the capital that he was looking for. He invested into what? What did he say he wanted? He said, I know what I'll do so that I can be welcomed into other people's homes as a friend. I know what I'll do. I'll invest in the most important capital that I can by using the capitals that are available to me. Do you want to grow as a Christian? That's not a rhetorical question. Do you want to grow as a Christian? 
Growing as a Christian means you grow your spiritual capital. How do you grow your spiritual capital? You grow your spiritual capital by investing your money. Now, some people freak out about churches talking about money. I've got no issue about talking about money at all, because unless you get a handle on your money, it's going to be very difficult for you to grow in the spiritual life, because if there's a corner of your life that's not invested in you growing in your walk with the Lord, it'll be difficult for you to do it. Every part of you has to be invested in the most important capital that you can grow. If you have a pearl of great price, you sell everything and get it. So money is hugely important, and it's something for you to consider as you're thinking about what God's saying to you as far as the thank offering next week is concerned. I'm not saying that to manipulate you or to get a great gift out of you, but to help you grow as a Christian. If you want your spiritual capital to grow, you've got to put some effort in. Now, do you please God by faith or by works? By faith. Everybody knows that. But here's the thing. Faith comes by hearing the word. Does that take you time? Does it take you energy to read God's word? Of course it does. So put some time and effort in. It's amazing how many times people come to me and sit in my office here or any other part of the world where I've sat in an office, and they say, well, I really like to be close to the Lord. And I say to them, well, so how much time do you kind of put into that a day? And they say, well, what do you mean? I say, you know, like, you know, time to pray and read your Bible. Well, I mean, I don't really, you know, I'm so busy. I've got kids and wife and work and... And I say, well, that's about it then. I, don't, I, ca- I can't help you because you're stupid. <laughs> I mean, seriously, just think about it. Of course you've got to put physical capital in. Otherwise, you can't possibly grow your spiritual life. You need to put financial capital in. Physical capital, intellectual capital. I mean, I'm just being silly when I say I never tell people they're stupid. I think it's a terrible thing to say. But I think it. <laughs> and then I have to confess it and talk to the Lord about it and all of that. So, but, but here's the thing. <clears throat> here's the thing. If you're wanting to grow as a Christian, you're going to have to learn some long words. Do you know that? It's almost impossible to grow as a Christian if you don't know what righteousness means. Nobody uses that word out in the open. You know, nobody's, nobody's, going, to, nobody's going to Walmart and saying, feeling pretty righteous today. Well, they may do if they're kind of a motorcyclist who smokes weed or something, because that's the kind of culture where they might use that word, but, but maybe in the 60s and not now. But You know what I mean? It's just not a word that you use much. Sanctification, I mean, who's using that? Even during the coronavirus where we need to clean everything, nobody's talking about sanctification. It's impossible to grow as a Christian if you don't get a handle on these long words. Now, some of you might say, well, I mean, 
hard for you. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether I know all those long words. Well, I completely identify with you. Up until the age of 15, I could barely read at all. And so I know, I know the complexities involved in having to, as it were, strain to learn these things, but it's absolutely vital and incredibly valuable and so worth it in the end. To allow God to use your capacity to think and to reflect, to grow your life as a believer. Do you use your relational capital? Do you get the people around you to encourage you and help you with your quiet time? Do you ask your spouse to say, come on, darling, you know you said that you were going to pray early. Get up and make me a cup of coffee at the same time. There's lots of amens going on around the room right now. It's amazing how many amens. We're getting more amens out of 20 people than we would have out of 100, so... Maybe that's, a, maybe that's an important point right there. I mean, some of you young people, there's only a few young people here, but uh, some of you young people may want a spouse one day. Yeah? It's not complicated. Invest all of the capitals in growing relational capital. Pray about it every day. Put some money into it. Put some effort into it. And read a book about it. you'll have a much better chance. So many young men have come into my rooms uh, over the years and have said, yeah, I really, yeah, I don't seem to. And I'll say to them, okay, so are you serious about this? Absolutely. And so I just talk about this a little bit and say, well, we need to pray every day. Um, you need to spend some money. And they say, what do you mean spend some money? Well, if you're going to take a young lady on a date, you're going to have to spend some money. Well, I mean, it's a bit old-fashioned, isn't it? Yeah, it's really old-fashioned, and it really works. <laughs> and you're probably going to have to look a bit nicer than what you do right now. Shave, have a shower occasionally, change your T-shirt, and cut your hair. It'll be amazing. And here's a great book that'll tell you how women think. Well... It's amazing how many of those young men over the years are now married with children. Why? Because they invested all of the capital that they had into the capital that they wanted. Do you need to grow your financial capital right now? Well, you invest all five of the others. You pray about it every day. You ask your friends and your family for ideas and suggestions and wisdom and insight and help. And you, you, you call on their prayers. You, you read the papers and, and don't keep on going to those silly websites that tell you all kinds of stupid stuff. You actually use your intelligence so that you can grow your ability. And you put effort into it. And inevitably you'll be able to grow the capital that you're looking to grow. So, what is it that we need to do? We need to do three things. We need to audit our capital. We need to audit our capital. What do I mean? Well, take spiritual capital. Ask yourself, is it growing? 
or is it diminishing? During the coronavirus, many, many people have grown in their prayer life. The number one Google search for the first few weeks of the crisis around the world was prayer. In a crisis, you realize that you need the most important capital. There's a default in us that helps us to get there. We need to audit our capital. Do you need to develop your physical capital? Because like me, you've not done any physical training over the last two months. I mean, my big question this morning as I got up was, am I going to put my pants above or below my belly button? I don't usually have that as a big question in my life, but right now I do. So I've obviously got to think about my physical capital. I've got to get back on the bike. I've got to, you know, do you see what I mean? What is it that you need to grow in? But you can only know that if you do an audit. Do you need to grow or, or maintain the growth in your, in your personal relationships? It's an amazing thing during this crisis how many far distant, long-term relationships have been rekindled. I met online with three friends from seminary, which I went to when I was 18, online last Friday. One of them I'd not seen for 35 years. I wonder how many others have found that. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? In a crisis, we get to audit our capital. Think about it. Is there a way in which you need to grow? And if it's a capital that needs to grow, then you invest all of the others, especially spiritual. So we audit. We grow our capital. So we audit. We grow. How do we grow? Well, by now you know, don't you? You grow any capital by investing the other four. That's how you do it. It's not complicated. It's very straightforward, very simple. And finally, you use. You use the capital that God has given you. Spend it. Don't worry about wasting it. God will... God will help you grow it. He'll train you and teach you in greater wisdom if you're, if you're feeling that at times you've been somewhat prodigal in your capital. Use the capital. And what does that mean? It means that you spend the currency that you have available. Our children obviously were hugely important to us as a couple, Sally and I. One of the things that we often did was to look for single people who didn't want to be single and didn't want to be childless and invited them into our family so that we could help them with the currency that we had available. We had family that we could spend on behalf of others to bless them. There are so many ways that we can use the currency and the capital that God has given us to be a blessing to other people. So we audit, we grow, and we use. And to what end? To what purpose? 
Well, there are two ends, of course. The first is that we please our master, that we choose to bless God by the way in which we conduct and use our lives. And if that were all that we were to get out of this, that would be, that would be plenty because God's given us everything that we have. And to bless and to, and to cause him to be happy is really the greatest blessing in our life. But Jesus says this, he says, if you want greater riches, then you need to be found to be trustworthy with the riches that you've been given. So be trustworthy. Be good stewards of what it is that God's given you by auditing it, by growing it where you can, and by using it generously, sacrificially, for the purposes of his kingdom. Is there an amen in the building anywhere? Let's pray.